Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Power for All podcast, a forum for leaders working to end energy poverty. I'm William Brent, Chief Campaign Officer of Power for All. We're joined in this episode by Dr. Hubert Hazen, whose career in academia and international cooperation spans nearly four decades and four continents, where he has served in a range of senior roles, including professor and chair at universities, diplomat, team leader, and currently as UNESCO regional director and representative based in Harare. As our listeners probably know, the E in UNESCO stands for educational, and the COVID-19 pandemic has put education at the top of the global agenda because of disruptions to in-school learning and a new reliance on digital technologies. This disruption has hurt rural and poor students most because they frequently lack internet connectivity and computing devices. As a son of a teacher myself, this issue is near and dearer to me. But before we get into it, a reminder that you can find a wealth of sector news, analysis, and data on our website, Power for All, and our platform for energy access knowledge. You can also sign up for our monthly newsletter and other updates. And if you feel like making a tax-deductible contribution to Power for All, you can make a donation from our homepage. And now, on to our conversation. Welcome, Professor Hubert. Yeah, good uh, morning. Uh, happy to be with you. So this month is World Children's Day, when we are given a chance to imagine a better future for every child. And so uh, in your role, I'm wondering if you can talk a bit about the impact you're seeing on children in this digital transformation that's happening in education in Africa and Asia because of the pandemic. Yeah, I, I would say as with any crisis, also this pandemic, it will certainly be a trigger also for new opportunities. And uh, in, in the United Nations, we're talking about building back better. Uh, that means uh, let's look at uh, uh, how can we overcome some of the, the issues like the sensitivities in our society to such uh, pandemics. Uh, but also, what lessons have we learned? Where are the weaknesses in terms of, uh, for instance, in the education sector? If you wanna, uh, if you wanna respond to the crisis, we we have seen that education has been disrupted in in, in all over the world. In fact, uh, just to give you some figures, um, in in mid-April, uh, we estimated that 1.5 billion children and youths. Uh, were affected by school, school closures, um, and that was so in 195 countries. Uh, there were very few exceptions, uh, maybe deep down in the Pacific, uh, where the, there was continuity in learning, and 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 that even today. So while schools have reopened in many countries, we see that still in 128 countries, uh, the schools are still kept uh, closed. So, so the impact on uh, education systems and access to education for children and youth has been enormous and, and stretching over such a long uh, period of time. Um, so this is, is something that, uh, that we need to look at. How do we build back better to ensure that, uh, and we have launched the hashtag, learning never stops. 
So what UNESCO did was uh, already in March, April, we launched a global coalition uh, in which many partners joined, uh, uh, including, for instance, uh, uh, Microsoft, telecom, uh, big telecom companies, uh, looking at, at ICT and how can we use ICT to ensure, uh, indeed, that learning never stops. That's great. I'll uh, be sure to be following that hashtag from uh, our conversation today. So you're, you're based in Zimbabwe. Um, and, you know, that's, a, I think, indicative of other countries in sub-Saharan Africa where there's a huge digital divide, um, especially for rural communities uh, where their schools often have no electricity or Internet connectivity. So you talked about opportunities uh, coming from the uh, pandemic to build back better. How do we build back better to address this this issue around um, students who are in rural sub-Saharan Africa and don't have access to uh, any of these things? Yeah, I think this is one of the important lessons learned. The COVID pandemic has, has really brought to the fore uh, the issue of, of, of non-access to ICTs and even to basic energy services uh, in, in much of uh, rural Africa. If you look at sub-Saharan Africa, only 35% of primary schools are connected to the grid. That means 65% are off in the rural areas, no connection to energy, therefore no chance even of using ICTs. So that is energy access, which already is typically very, very low. If you look at internet access to schools, globally we're, we're almost at 50%, 46% is the official figure, but in least developing countries, this percent goes down to 16%. I believe in, in sub-Saharan Africa, we're talking about uh, less than 15%. In the Northern Americas, just to give you a contrast and a comparison, uh, we're looking at 99% of the schools that have internet connectivity. Our neighboring country here is Zambia. The figure is merely 6% of schools are connected to internet. So these figures are telling. And when we talk about building back better, I mean, one thing the, the crisis has, has basically told us is that we need to fast track investments in infrastructure for energy, access and for for ICTs and digitization. So that should become a prime priority for governments in sub-Saharan Africa. And, and this is not only with the argument that children and youth have a right of access to learning, but it is because these access to ICT is, is no longer a nice to have. It, it is a must have. And it, it is an important factor and a catalyst actually in, in the economies uh, in these countries. So I, I think that is something that would be a game changer for Africa. If we would indeed prioritize under the building back better, the investments in infrastructure for energy and, and ICTs. And when I say building back better, there is of course an enormous opportunity. Yes, uh, the coverage in Africa, in sub-Saharan Africa is extremely low and that is a challenge. But the opportunity is that this part of the world is blessed with many hours of sunshine. 
and, and therefore building back better, we, we shouldn't build the old energy systems that the developed world has introduced, and we could skip decades of old-school development, which is oil-based, and move directly into renewables. So that is what the building back better should be about. Thank you. Yeah, I, I want to get to that point around, um, you know, this idea of leapfrogging to a cleaner energy infrastructure for education in a second. But before that, I just want to understand from where you sit right now, you know, given that, you know, we're talking about education for children as being a fundamental right, um, there are a lot of competing priorities right now coming out of the pandemic for money, uh, scarce financial resources. Um, are you seeing a prioritization amongst governments and the donors and funders of those governments uh, focused on education or do we need to really elevate that even further? Well, of course, it, you see a lot of discussion by governments, by, by individual member states here in Africa who are basically coming out with the same conclusion. That is, we need to fast-track investments in the energy sector and into the, the digitization, as they, as they refer to it, uh, of the economy. But if we, if we come to education, there is also global discussions. The global education partners, including development partners, and the big institutions, including the UN, the World Bank, etc. So we come together and we analyze. Uh, you remember that uh, education is one of the sustainable development goals. It is uh, the SDG number four, which aims to, uh, to achieve a lot in education. Uh, universal access to high-quality lifelong learning is, is, the, is the phrasing here by the year 2030. And we analyzed in terms of the financial means um, uh, what would be needed to achieve that goal. And, and in fact, the figures are daunting. If, if you make the analysis, you see that there is an annual funding gap today of about 148 billion US dollars globally every year to reach the target by the year 2030. Now, that was the situation before COVID hits us. The COVID crisis has pushed us further back and we have now realized that we need to speed up also the ICT infrastructure and access of schools and learners. And therefore, the new estimates are reaching $200 billion, that is the funding gap per year, to reach the SDG 4 on education by 2030. So these are indeed daunting uh, figures. Mm-hmm. And so let's talk about for a second about this opportunity uh, for you know a solar powered leapfrog to uh, you know a future education system in sub-Saharan Africa, South and Southeast Asia, where energy access is an issue. I mean, what what kind of initiatives or innovations, business models? Uh, maybe there's a regional uh, initiative that you think is a, a best practice. Are you seeing? Uh, or are you involved in as UNESCO in things that will provide that type of long-term, equitable, and inclusive access to education? The challenge is to develop a, a proof of concept because you have to imagine in, in rural Africa, if I just drive out of the capital here, Harare, and, and, and just drive one hour in, a, in one direction, I find myself in off-grid situations. Now, to introduce 
in this case renewable energy there and then follow with ICTs means you're introducing a lot of high tech into uh, communities where there is no technical uh, support services. So that presents a challenge in itself. Therefore, I believe we need to, to demonstrate and pilot this and to test out how does it work. Now, we have recently as UNESCO here in the region uh, where we collaborate with uh, SADC, the Southern Africa uh, Development Co uh, Community, the 16 countries in the South, we, we have um, initiated and launched a new program and, and the name is telling, it explains it all. The title is Renewable Energy for Schools and Communities. And the hypothesis underlying this program is that uh, bring energy, and in this case renewable energy, to rural off-grid communities is indeed a game-changer. It is a precondition for sustainable development to happen in that community because with our aim to bring energy and to allow ICT in education and then transfer this to the community, so from the school to the community, you will obviously see um, the game-changing impact this will have on that community. So we, we are including in this program and in the demonstration projects a component on ICT and education, then TVET, that is technical, vocational uh, education for community members, ensuring the engagement in particular of community members, uh, women and youth, so that they develop these skills and that they develop these new business opportunities that come to these communities. That is the, the importation of these technologies, the installation, the, the, the simple maintenance of these technologies, which creates enormous business opportunities. But then under the same program, we're also looking at how the introduction of uh, renewable energy to these communities can trigger all kinds of uh, new business initiatives in the community. Uh, and services as well. Think, for instance, about health centers where there is no energy um, and, and they run their stocks, or they keep their stocks of, of medicines uh, under cooling by running a generator, for instance, uh, which sometimes gets damaged and the whole stock gets spoiled. So renewable energy now also for health centers. Renewable energy to possibly provide opportunities for small-scale farmers. And, and imagine what kind of a game-changer that is for local community members to be able to, to now process their harvest, to push them up in the value chain. So I could go on and, and, and see a lot of uh, initiatives that would only be possible once you have energy access and therefore, the renewable energy introduction into these rural areas being a game changer, not only for education, but for the entire livelihood situation of these rural uh, communities. Absolutely. So you talked about, you know, I think you mentioned business opportunities a couple of times in that answer. Um, related to that, uh, specifically on education, um, and sure, there are absolutely a lot of follow-on impacts that access to electricity can have, renewable electricity. But just for the education piece of that for a moment, I'm just wondering, you know, do you see that as a public-private partnership? Um, what's, the, what's the relationship between, for example, private sector companies delivering energy access through Pago Solar or mini-grids 
and um, you know what I assume are often state-owned uh, education uh, facilities. And how do we how do we integrate those two best? Yeah, yeah, indeed, that is exactly the the way we're moving on this initiative. So this initiative is led uh, by UNESCO in collaboration with uh, other UN agencies like UNDP. Uh, UN Women, there's a strong gender component in, in the program, ILO, but also we have engaged and, and, and I just signed, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, an MOU with private sector companies who are in uh, renewable energy, who are in telecom, uh, who are in ICTs. Uh, and of course, for them, this is an interesting business model. There is so many clients that have a willingness to pay for these services who are out there in the rural areas. Now, the willingness to pay is there. The, uh, to make it realistic and financially feasible, you have to link the introduction of these new technologies to uh, a boosting of the business opportunities in these communities and the livelihoods and income generation opportunities for the community members. So we are working here with, with for instance, Econet, uh, with, with DPA, which is uh, working on renewable energy, and, 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 and they will partner with us. Uh, in fact, they have partnered with us to uh, initiate this program and to develop these uh, full-scale demonstrations in communities and off-grid uh, villages. That's fantastic. Yeah, we know DPA and Norman Moyo quite well at Power for All, so that's exciting to hear. I look forward to following that. So, Professor, before the pandemic happened, uh, SDG 7, or Universal Access to Energy, was already off track, especially in Sub-Saharan Africa. And the International Energy Agency said just recently that for the first time since 2013, the number of unelectrified in Sub-Saharan Africa is actually going to go up this year um, instead of down. So, you know, given that, you know, what we talked about in that access to energy and especially decentralized renewable energy is, is key to, you know, opening up the, the opportunity to build back better. How do we how do we bring the voice of the education community more deeply into the discussion around energy access and work together to really um, build more urgency around that access, energy access piece, uh, because without achieving energy access, we're not going to achieve SDG 4 either. Yeah, you're perfectly right. Uh, the, the Agenda 2030 with its 17 SDGs, uh, they present an extremely complex agenda and therefore in a, in a recent paper I've tried to simplify that by restructuring the goals into three groups and, and the first group is what I call catalytic goals and it is exactly SDG 7 that belongs into that group. Now if politicians would recognize that energy access has a catalytic effect on in fact all the other goals then we should prioritize it. So it, it needs political commitment. This is the only way forward. This is the only way we're going to see a change in the investment climates, in the prioritization uh, of this infrastructure development towards uh, now renewable energy and, and opening up therefore the, the access to ICTs uh, and the digitization of economies. Now, 
the world is already moving into the fourth industrial revolution, but uh, in Africa, in sub-Saharan, in much of sub-Saharan Africa, uh, we, we haven't benefited even from the, from the second and the third industrial revolution. That is the, the electrification, that is the, the ICTs. So I think we need to design a strategy where sub-Saharan Africa can make the fact that they are lagging so far behind that they could make that particular fact an advantage. As I said before, here in, in Africa, we don't need to make the same stupid mistakes that the developed world made to go for a full carbon-based economic model. We can skip these decades that in fact have been lost and the coming decades that are needed to restore the world in terms of a carbon neutral society and economy. We can save all that and focus and leapfrog the development in Africa towards uh, sustainable development. So that is my optimistic words that I want to add to this discussion. But it, at the end of the day, it requires the political commitment and, and therefore important for politicians to recognize that SDG 7 is a catalytic goal and it can drive all the others, including the education goal. Well, please be sure to share with us a, a link to that paper, Professor, so that we can share it when we publish this podcast. I think it's important at this point of group of catalytic SDGs, and I'd be curious to maybe have a follow-on conversation with you about that. Last question, you know, we've been talking a lot about energy access. We've been talking about children and primary school. Clearly, energy is just a start for uh, solving these problems, which are very complex. So there's other things that are required um, that I want to give you an opportunity to mention briefly, but also, um, you know, what the role is. So what are those other things besides access to energy and ICT that are required to make this all work? And then how does this also impact non-primary school students in tertiary or in secondary school? Yeah, so, so first of all, let me say that if we bring ICT to rural areas, uh, it will be a game changer for education there, no doubt. But it is not a single golden bullet that will solve all the, the problems. We, we have to recognize, for instance, that there is an enormous shortage of teachers. Some figures here. Today, we have a, shor a shortage towards the, the horizon date for the SDG 4, which is 2030, of 10.8 million new teachers that need to be trained and, and recruited. Uh, that is the figure only for Sub-Saharan Africa. The issue is also, and we see that even in developed countries in Europe, in the US, that teachers were not really prepared to offer this distance learning modality and it requires whole new didactics. A teacher becomes from a, a source of information, suddenly becomes a facilitator to facilitate access to information and knowledge. And that is a whole different role uh, for which many teachers have not been trained, let's be honest. So that requires a whole retraining and upgrading of the teacher's capacities and skills. Uh, and that would require massive efforts all over the world. So these are some of the, 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 the notes I would make with ICT access not being a single golden bullet. The other one is that, and we have seen that also uh, in, in, in some Western countries in particular, where, where children get tired of the, looking at their laptop 
So they get bored, they get tired, they want the interaction. So we need to look at that. And I believe that the future will not be 100% e-learning. Uh, that's not a model that will be attractive, that will be engaging, and that will lead to high-quality education. So I believe we're moving towards blended learning. And there, I, I want to make a last comment, uh, which is a positive one. That is that uh, uh, connectivity, ICTs and connectivity, also bring opportunities in terms of quality of education. And of course, for the primary and secondary, it is access to high quality uh, curricula, etc. But uh, look at the higher education segment. Uh, universities in Africa are usually deprived of uh, uh, not having the equipment, not having the high uh, level of expertise in all the areas of offering. Now, by uh, via connectivity and mobilizing the power of connectivity, uh, you could look at uh, collaboration modalities between universities, not only within Africa, but between Africa and other continents. And via these collaborative approaches, you can think about uh, designing joint MSc, PhD and research programs of super high quality. So that is another opportunity that I see uh, with the introduction of connectivity and ICTs. Great. Thanks, Professor. I think that concludes my questions. Uh, I want to make sure to remind all of our listeners to follow the UNESCO hashtag learning never stops. And I want to thank the professor for joining us today. And we at Powerful look forward to working with UNESCO to really try to, to create that uh, political will globally to um, achieve both SDG 7 and SDG 4 well before 2030. So thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much uh, for the invitation. It was a pleasure to join you today. 